What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Alligator Sports Podcast. As always, I am Joe Henry, and I am joined by my co-host, Jackson. How are we doing this morning? What's up, Joe? I'm doing good. A uh, little bit of a late start this week. I mean, I mean, it's the morning, but in terms of which day this is coming on, it's a late start. Usually these come out on Wednesday, but we're hitting you on a Saturday this week. Yes, it is the February 5th edition of the podcast. We had to slide it back a little bit. There's some stuff going on that we needed to cover, see how everything was playing out. And then maybe also might have just forgot a little bit, but that's all right. We're busy. We're college students. That's how it would be. But yeah, National Signing National Signing Day was on Wednesday when we would normally record our podcast. There was a couple of commitments and announcements that weren't going to happen until like 4.30 in the afternoon, 6 o'clock at night. Um, so we wanted to wait, see how everything played out and get back to y'all a little bit later. Florida men's basketball also had a game on Wednesday that was originally going to be at six and got moved up to three because of weather in Columbia, Missouri, Florida got a win there. So we're going to talk on that a little bit later and where this men's basketball team's at. But first off, we are going to jump into recruiting news. And what Billy Napier has been doing, Florida ended this recruiting period after National Signing Day with a national rank of 19, which is pretty impressive, I would say, considering everything that's gone on this offseason and an SEC rank of, of nine. One of my favorite things is that they, after all of this mess, they end up one spot ahead of FSU in the national rankings. Right. Jackson, that's always are, important. Jackson, what are your like overarching thoughts on what Napier's done and how this recruiting class kind of shaped out here at the end? Well, like you said, uh, the most important thing is that they ranked ahead of Florida State, but uh, in a super honestly, unbiased way, in a completely unbiased way. But honestly, like I'm in, I'm impressed with what Billy Napier was able to accomplish in like a year that is very obviously like going to be a transition period, like with any head coaching change, but on it, like when you look at the consensus reaction from Gators Twitter, which, you know, isn't always the best barometer of temperatures around the team, but um, it, it was good. Like when you start the recruiting period with your new head coach and you lose all your commitments and the team's ranking went down to, I think it was like the mid seventies nationally. When billionaire. Oh yeah, it was it was low, and all those and like I think a lot of decommitments happened. Obviously, uh, I believe we were recording an episode, and uh, someone decommitted as we were recording. But I can't remember who it was. One of the wide receivers, right? Yeah, I can't remember who, but mid record. So that was was like funny. (laughs) It was like every other day there was a recruit decommitting, and it was dropping Florida's national rankings, and Billy Napier honestly was able to. basically start from nothing and build a really, really solid class. Uh, So obviously the highlights are Kamari Wilson, four-star from IMG. Basically he's like, if, if everything goes as planned, you know, with Billy Napier, people are going to look back on Kamari Wilson as like the day the tides turn, especially in terms with Florida and IMG, because that's been like one of the, one of the things that Florida's never been able to accomplish, especially in the past few years previously with Dan Mullen, is building a good pipeline with IMG, which pretty much everyone who pays attention to the team has sat there and questioned, why hasn't Florida done this? Why hasn't Florida built a relationship with probably the best high school team in the country 
and they're just around the corner in Bradenton. So someone like Kamari Wilson being like almost an inside, like a, a getting our foot or getting Florida's foot in the door with IMG is, is really huge for Florida. Other than that, uh, no five stars, but a good group of four stars signing with Florida. Um, Chris McClellan is a defensive lineman who I, I think is going to be really important for Florida. He's 6'3", 295. So when he gets with uh, Mark Hawk and the, the new strength and development program at Florida, I think they're going to do big things with him. Um, another guy is Devin Moore from Naples, Florida. Uh, he's a safety four-star, very athletic looks to be very talented, um, comes from a smaller area in Naples high school. I'm, I'm from that area. I'm familiar. It's not like a huge football town. It's just starting to pick up in terms of recruiting, but he's probably one of the higher recruits in a while to come out of that area. Um, 21st at his position. So he's obviously a very solid player. All three of those players are already enrolled at Florida. So the deal is sealed there. Um, in terms of guys who signed but haven't yet enrolled, uh, Shamar James highlights the class, fifth in his position, uh, fourth in his state. James is a stud, dude. He's a stud. He's going he's gonna to be a, a, a stud for Florida. I mean, he's an athletic freak. He uh, plays with a lot of aggression. He has a .9716 composite rating. So he's on the edge of being a five-star. Like, he's yeah. basically on the five-star bubble. Um and I think I remember some, him and Wilson having five star ratings from I believe a they were sites. Five stars maybe at one point, even on two four seven. Uh that's yeah. actually been a, a controversy that's going around Gators Twitter. Some people have pointed out the fact that uh commits after they like commit to Florida or sign with Florida, their their um their ratings and their rankings are like decreasing just slightly. So that's something to note. Um, they don't want to they don't want to see the Gators winning. No, for sure. But in terms of narrative, uh, there are some guys that stand out here. Uh, Trevor Etienne is one of them, obviously. Heck yeah, man. Um, we have brother of uh, Travis. Um, you know, it's huge. When you have when you have a – I mean, he's a four-star recruit, .92 rated. He's a great player. But when you have a, a guy who is from the state of Louisiana, is being recruited hard by Louisiana State, and his brother – who's an NFL running back, went to Clemson, and they're recruiting him heavy, and he chooses Florida, who he basically besides, like, really has no connection with. Uh, and, he, and he chooses Florida. Like, that just shows how strong Billy Napier's pitch for Florida is, that he's able to convince a guy to flip from schools that he has so many ties to beyond his ties that he has to Florida. Um, more things that stand out to me are uh, really – all the Louisiana uh, Lafayette guys that are transferring over. Obviously that was a yeah. a big narrative going around during the transfers is, um, you know, this is going to be a transition period. Like, even though this class is honestly, you know, it's impressive to me what Billy Napier was able to accomplish with this class. Like a lot of it is like a lot of the first year production from new faces is going to rely on the transfers. That's just what it is when it's a first year head coach, because, you know, it takes time to build like, the kind of recruiting class you want to put together, the kind of culture you want to bring in year by year. So like Osiris Torrance, interior offensive lineman, is going to be uh, a huge get. He's, you know, 6'5", 330. He's an athletic beast. He has a, he's a four-star transfer. So he's a higher-ranked transfer than he was a recruit coming out of high school. 
So he had a really impressive first year at Louisiana Lafayette under Billy Napier, and he's going to hope to improve that um, on an elevated platform with Florida. Same with Cameron Waits. Uh, Montrell Johnson is going to do a lot, especially in the running back room. There's going to be a lot of production from these Louisiana Lafayette transfers, but, you know, not all the transfers from were from Billy Napier's old team. Jalen Kimber is switching from Georgia to Florida, which is a huge get. Uh, defensive back, uh, sort of a quiet first year, not a lot of touches really, uh, not a lot of snaps in his first year at Georgia, but is going to probably produce a lot, especially because uh, much of the Gators secondary is leaving for the NFL. But um, I think Kimber, not a lot of people have talked about him, but I think him flipping from Georgia is huge because I think that shows you the uh, the impact that Katie Turner is having on recruiting. Um, I think her name is going to come up a lot in these next couple of years in terms of Florida's recruiting because you see her everywhere with all of these recruits, pretty much having a relationship with all of them. I think that's going to be huge for Florida. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I wanted to um, circle back to ETN for just a second. Yeah. Just looking more at like his page and stuff like that. His primary guy that um, was recruiting him for Florida was Jabar Jaluki. Yeah. So a guy that just like Napier came over and was just getting his like getting his grounding, getting used to recruiting for Florida after yeah. um, after joining the staff and just looking at some of Jaluki's all time commitments. They have two four seven has ETN ranked as the second highest commit he's ever gotten. Yeah right after Grant Delpit and then two spots ahead of Clyde Edwards, Clyde Edwards, Alaire from LSU. So I think if ETN yeah. has any type of trajectory is what Clyde did at LSU, Florida will be in, in good shape in the running back room, which they already are. They've got five running yeah. backs on the roster. They're going to be very deep at running back like they were last year. Yeah. And honestly, like when we talk about how deep the running back room is like, one of the down parts of Florida's recruiting class is obviously missing out on Trevante Citizen. But yeah, he probably, like, honestly, he probably didn't commit because Etienne committed and added a fifth running back to that room just hours before. Like, that's a busy room to be a part of, especially when it's two uh, pretty highly touted uh, freshmen, you know, coming into the team at the same time. Like, that's not an easy running back room to be in. Uh, continuing on what you said about Jaluki, I think he's going to be extremely, extremely crucial to Florida's recruiting from here on out. Uh, when you talk about the best, not, not only the best states in terms of talent in college football recruiting, but in terms of recruiting that talent, it's Louisiana, it's Georgia, and it's Florida. Yeah. Jaluki has deep deep ties to Louisiana. He's from New Orleans. He went to Southern University. It's an HBCU in Louisiana. Obviously, he recruited a bunch of major, major recruits to LSU during his time there. And now he's in Florida, and he can make his impact known even from a distance. Like, even though Florida has really no, probably has no, you know, growing up in Florida, like Florida's a big brand, but in Louisiana, like Mm -hmm. the Gators aren't as big of a brand as LSU is. You know, LSU is always going to reign supreme in Louisiana. That's how it is with every state in their state school, really. Having someone who not only made a name for himself at that huge brand in your state, 
but has super deep ties and great recruiting history in that state is huge for Florida because he basically serves as a one-man pipeline from that state to Florida now. And now there's more player, there's more um, staff that Billy Napier has brought from Louisiana to Florida. Obviously, Corey Raymond on defense is going to be huge for Florida's recruiting. He's credited with a lot of great recruits as well that went to Louisiana State. Um, those two guys, I think, are going to really change the way that Florida's recruiting looks. And I think in a couple years, if everything goes as planned with the staff that Billy Napier has in place, Florida could become like a recruiting giant. Yeah, one of the interesting I looks at thing I'm looking at here, I'm looking back at Kamari Wilson's profile and yeah. who was kind of involved in his recruiting and everything. And he took a, a visit to LSU on June 18th of last year. Mm-hmm. And one of and the main person involved in that visit was Corey Raymond. Yeah, I mean that's that that's gonna come up basically with probably these next two years, especially because he'll have recruited some of these players at LSU already. Yeah. That's going to come up huge for years and years for Florida because Corey Raymond is like basically anytime that Corey Raymond is going to pull in a big time recruit like this, you're going to look through his profile and be like, Oh yeah. All these other schools, LSU, you know, all, you know, whatever his state school is, these huge recruiting giants are going to be competing for the same thing. Cause this is what Florida is aiming for this is what Florida wants to achieve they want to hit the home run recruits and I think Corey Raymond is a home run recruiter like I think he's going to be able to pull in these big time guys consistently every year for Florida yeah there's a about a six month gap between his visit to LSU and then on December 10th he took a visit to Florida um Corey Raymond and Patrick Tony headed that up and Got Wilson to Florida, one of the biggest recruits that the Gators have had in a couple of years, maybe maybe better than anything Mullen ever brought in. I don't know. Well, Mullen had brought in five stars, right? I think well, a couple. I don't know, but but he's a point nine eight and he's a four star. I don't that just doesn't hold on. Let me look at Dan Mullen's all time recruits. Now that I now I think this needs to be. Because, like, I think about it, like, Mullen definitely did bring in. He definitely brought in Kyer. Yeah. And I think that alone, probably. I think Kyer was a five-star. What? Oh, they – oh, he was quarterback coach under Urban. He's credited with Tebow. I mean, yeah, I was saying more as like during his head coaching time. As like head last, coach, like, all right, well, yeah. Let's see. Let's take a look at that then. A lot of his best recruits come when he was under Urban. <laughs> I mean, of course. Um. All right. Yeah, I don't know. I think I, I think he might be right. I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't recognize some of these names. Also, like Tim Tebow, they like. Like on 247, they have him like his composite rating right now is a 0.99195 star. Was 247 around when he was recruited? I'm not. What I'm saying is like, if my memory serves me correct, Tebow was like a three star coming out of high school. And like that was like his whole thing was that he wasn't that heavily recruited. 
Maybe. Because, like, no this idea. also says that he went to Ponte Vedra High School and everybody knows that Tebow played at Nice. I don't trust this. All right. All right. I, I trust know. my okay. memory more than this official website. <laughs> all right. Let's see. Um, I have to find a better source for this then. Dan Mullen or Kurtz. Okay. Well, 24 7 Sports is the only website that really puts together like a composite list of all time commits. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think we're going to be able to figure out if he had any better. Well, let's just look it up. Like, what are some of Dan Owen's best recruits that you can remember as? Like, obviously, Elam. Not Elam was rated less. Uh, yeah, he was point. He was point nine seven. Yeah, you look down in in like this like twenty nineteen class that I'm looking at now. There's guys like Diabate and Zipperer, Tyron Hopper, Elam, Chris Bogle, Chris Steele. Yeah, like there's a lot. Like there's so many just like solid like four stars, and I yeah. think that's what Mullins recruiting classes were always like in like the like eight to 15 range for most of his time at Florida. And it was because he was just bringing in just loads of four stars. Right. Well, you know, I mean, obviously like for for Billy Napier to kind of rep that, like replicate that uh, production in his first year is impressive, but you know, yeah, I, I just think, the reactions, obviously, like missing out, like we're 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 ignoring the elephants in the room. Obviously, like missing out on Harold Perkins is a tough blow, especially after, uh, I think he was crystal ball to Florida, right? He was crystal ball to LSU. Oh, he was. Yeah, that happened probably like two to three hours before before he actually committed. All right, so. I was following along with that all day. We had little insider information on the journalism world of we had an article that um, one of our writers, we had to write it last like the night before. And then we had it edited. We had it like uploaded. We had it like ready to go to like publish it. Like if that happened. So I'm like, I'm literally sitting in one of my classes, like listening to a lecture but like also on Twitter, just like refreshing at 4.30. And then I found like the live stream video. So I'm sitting there like watching the video of him commit. And then mm-hmm. he puts on the LSU hat. And I was like, dang it, man. And then I just close everything and actually start paying attention to class. <laughs> <laughs> I know that stinks. Uh, writing a, a Shell article like that and then it, it not coming to fruition is one of the worst feelings. Hey, shout out Lily though. She's a trooper. Shout she out was Lily. Like, she's Lily like, it was a great off. learning experience. And I was like, and I was like, you have such a great attitude about this because I'm kind of pissed. <laughs> yeah, the first, the the first like brief I ever wrote, I forget what the topic was. Um, I wrote it and then like Ryan, shout out Ryan, the old editor <laughs> of the Algorithm Sports Desk. He read it and was like, you know what? I kind of misread how important this tweet was. So I don't think this is really that newsworthy. So we could probably just scrap this. And I was like, all right, thanks. I just spent 45 minutes on this. Yeah. And it's like my very first one. So I'm like stressed. Like I want to make it good. I don't want to like have a crap brief for my very first one. And then he's like, ah, he's like, nah, we're, just gonna, just use this one. we're just going to go without it. 
He's like, yeah, he's like, just consider this practice. I was like, okay. Great. <laughs> All right, though. All right. I think we're going to jump over to talking some men's basketball. Yeah, we'll talk some moves now. Uh, you, so, you covered, yeah, you covered the Missouri game on Wednesday. One yeah, point that win was, is a that was a is an interesting one. game. Florida, yeah, they scraped by. I mean, you see some people on Twitter like treating it like it's some some big win, but like it's not impressive to barely scrape by from a, a quarter three loss like that. If it had Florida lost, their tournament chances would be dead. <laughs> so. Um, speaking of tournament chances, if you want to look at bracketology, Joe Lenardi has Florida as his first team out. And then if you go to 131sports.com, uh, Joe Cook Shugart, the Joes, uh, he has them at his first team in. So Florida is like on the bubble of the bubble. Like they're teetering as close as you can get to being on or off. And they have, you know, not the easiest schedule to close out the season as they need to pick up probably six more wins to five or six more wins to make the tournament. So if you just looking down their schedule, um, they've got Ole Miss, they've got Georgia, then number five, Kentucky, Texas A&M, number one, Auburn, Arkansas, Georgia, Vanderbilt, and then Kentucky again. Um you, you know, you just have to kind of play the the subtraction game in terms of like which games of these can Florida win and which of them can lose. I'm going to look at all of these, assuming that Colin Castleton will not be back till the tournament because the team as of right now, I think it's been how many games now without him? Five or six? Yeah, six. I think, I think it's pushing six, maybe even seven or something like that. It's been a while. Yeah, I was in six games. I was in media yesterday and they and they asked for an update and they said that Colin is doing a little bit of work in practice, but still hasn't done anything as far as five on five or game plan, like walkthrough or anything. And he hasn't done anything against contact yet. Yeah, they haven't. So that was the latest update. So it sounds like it's still going to be a while. Yeah, they haven't really given any information on that so far. I mean, obviously, teams are pretty secretive about that. That's fine. It's just. When you talk about like, <laughs> as you talk about like missing a guy and that changing your entire game plan, like nothing embodies that more than the way Florida has had to play since losing Colin Castleton. Yeah. I think since losing him, they've averaged something like 33 point attempts per game. They weren't even like sniffing that margin when they had Colin Castleton because I mean, he's kind of a cheat code. Like, when you have a guy who's typically the biggest guy on the floor and probably and usually by far the most skilled big man on the floor, uh, and you can just dump it off to him in the post every time, and most times you're going to get a bucket, like your team, you know, starts to rely on him. You know, he becomes the focal point like, like he has. But uh, credit to Mike White and his team, like they have adjusted since losing Colin Castleton, you know, going – four and two in the stretch that he's been gone, even if it's against like not so great competition or if it's been ugly wins and really ugly losses. Um, They have stayed afloat in a time where, you know, a lot of teams may have collapsed, but obviously staying afloat isn't the minimum for making the tournament. Like you have to look like a good team. So there are team, there are games that they like absolutely must win on the stretch. They can't lose to Ole Miss twice. Uh, that matchup takes like that, that's that's in a couple of hours. So depending on when this, when this comes out, 
this may be old news, but they can't lose to Ole Miss twice. And they lost to him bad when Ole Miss wasn't at full strength. So that's, you know, it's going to be a, a, a tough one. Uh, they, Georgia has won like six games this season. You have to beat Georgia twice. Kentucky, I mean, <laughs> you're going to lose to Kentucky. <laughs> I That's really what it comes down to. With in, Kentucky, it always comes down to, I feel like even in years where like Florida's a ranked team and is playing good, the matchup in Rupp is always just so yeah, hard. Kentucky at Rupp is just insurmountable when you're and not then, one of the best teams in the country. And then if you sell out the O-Dome and get it rocking for that final game of the season at home against Kentucky, you yeah. might be able to pull some magic there. That might be like, that's a t- completely different situation because like home team advantage, home court advantage, like completely changes the game, especially in college basketball. But Rupp is insurmountable. I think if, if, if maybe even if like the tournament relies on a win over Kentucky on the last game of the season, it is a Saturday, it's early afternoon, like people will be available. I think the Odom will fill up and that, that could be an interesting game, but that first matchup against Kentucky next Saturday is going to, it's not going to go well for Florida. I don't think uh, Texas A&M they're also on the bubble. You see them pretty frequently on first teams in uh, or last teams in first teams out or just missing it. So uh, that's going to be an important win. I think uh, Florida has to beat Texas A&M, especially because they don't play them again this season. Yeah, uh, Auburn is the best team in the country. I think by far uh, they're, I think right now, at least they're my favorite to uh, win the tournament. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, I mean, the Auburn game. show up for that. Yeah. They've I already announced that it was sold out like earlier, like last week, I think they announced it was sold, sold out like a good two, three weeks in advance. And the time so is still they're hype. To, yeah. They're hyping TD. it up. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a crazy game. Um, you know, we'll see what happens, but I don't, you know, Florida made it close in well, at least semi close in their first matchup. Uh, 85 to 73, but, you know, played well. Scoring 73 points on that defense is no is no easy task. But Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith, as good as they were when Florida played them the first time, they have improved tenfold. And the entire team has improved tenfold. Like, they look unstoppable right now. So I don't think Florida is going to be able to come out on top. Arkansas is an interesting one. Yeah. Arkansas isn't ranked. They don't get a lot of press. But they have 17 wins already. They are third in the SEC, and they have won six games in conference. So they're a good team. I think if Florida wins every other game, they need to win. Even if they drop both games to Kentucky and the game to Auburn, but they beat Ole Miss, they beat Georgia twice, and they beat Vanderbilt again the second-to-last game of the season, I think they can still afford to drop the Arkansas game. It, but, it's, the, it's the one that they can – that they're allowed to drop that they can afford how good Arkansas is right now. But I think if they beat Arkansas, even if they don't manage to steal a win from one of these top five teams in SEC, which is a pretty impossible, but if they can beat Arkansas and all the other games that they absolutely must win, I think they are in a pretty good spot for the tournament. No, I don't think they will be much higher than like, I think they will probably be a 12 seed. Like they won't be any higher than that. But uh, that's a start, you know, that's making the tournament, you know. Yeah, I think if you if you throw a win against Arkansas in there and then maybe a couple of close, keeping it closer with 
Kentucky in either of those matchups or keeping it close with Auburn at home and being on the verge of pulling one of those upsets could do a little bit to kind of take the needle if you're getting in towards like a 10 seed or something like that. It'll be interesting right. to see where they end up if they do get in because Florida, just that brand could also be enough to bump it up just a little bit. Exactly. And, and then just, and then that, and just that brand of the sec as a whole and how yeah. talented the sec is uh, giving Florida the benefit of the doubt, or yeah. even just looking at their strength of schedule and seeing that they've played good teams this year. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's it all it all comes down to how Florida plays against these bad teams in the SEC, teams that are worse than them objectively. Uh, like they should be beating Ole Miss twice a year. They absolutely cannot lose to Ole Miss twice. Um, they have to beat Georgia both times. If they drop a game to Georgia, it is abs- It's done for Florida. Uh, yeah, Georgia. Georgia's bad. We were talking about like right before. Georgia is bad. George is very bad. Like we, you were, you looked at their page and you were sort of surprised to see how bad they were. I was just uh, like, oh, they've won six games all year. Yeah, wow. no, they're they're a sickos college basketball like favorite right now. They're the best, <laughs> and Tom and Tom Crean is. <laughs> in terms of head coaches, like that you want to see on a team that you're not like super affiliated with, but is like having a disastrous season. Tom Crane is one of the best because <laughs> the way he reacts to his team, like absolutely collapsing is perfection. Like looking up, like, hold on, let me like looking up pictures of Tom Crane when his team is playing poorly is, is comedy. Like he's just, he's, he's hilarious, but yeah, I don't know. Florida obviously has to beat Georgia. Um, Missing the tournament it would be a really bad look for Mike White because this season has been yeah. one filled with a lot of turmoil for him. Obviously, losing his best player uh, halfway through the season, maybe through the end of the season, uh, is going to help his case for like maybe um, like a, a reason for why the season didn't go so well. But oh the yeah, and then, he, he, and then there's the double down of losing Jatobo. Jatobo, right? As what, he's was that honestly four he's games breaking after? out. Yeah, yeah Jatobo was four. playing. He was getting more minutes and getting more comfortable. I mean, he just didn't have the in-game reps that Castleton was getting, obviously. But Jatobo still. had the skill set and everything to be probably even more of a like prototypical center than what Castleton was because Castleton while he was a big he's a lot more skilled in terms of being able to move a little more like fluidly than Jatobo just by like his build and then Castleton was also more proponent to the offense because he's a good passer and the offense was able to play through him kind of inside out when Jatobo if you're kicking it down to Jatobo Jatobo's going at the rim and hoping that he's going to either body a guy out of the way and get a layup or get fouled he's just trying to out muscle his man which yeah. you know it's just a style of play but he he was playing well especially in the later stretch of games um in his third game or no just i think just his second game without colin castleton he put up a yeah. career high in rebounds he scored 12 he led the team in points and although it was a really bad game uh 54 points against Ole miss he did lead the team in points so you know he was making his contributions felt and he was contributing to the uh, like four out one in or five out style that Florida was running without Colin Castleton. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, it was a really tough blow to lose him for the season. So I think Florida at this point, their goal probably is to just like get in and see what they can do from there. Because I think Colin Castleton returning is contingent on them making the tournament. I don't see in his last year he can have as a Gator. Um, I don't see a situation where he doesn't insist on coming back from injury to play in the tournament if they make it. Yeah, the last game of the regular season is March 5th against Kentucky. So um, a month he might away. Even insist, he might even insist to play them. Um, yeah, so a full month away, and then you have the whole SEC tournament. So the NCAA tournament starting mid-March. Based off of yeah. what they're telling us about slow progress, it seems like a little over ready. a month could be enough time for him to get ready. And I think if you're playing NCAA tournament games in his last time as a Gator, I think there's no way he doesn't. I don't think there's any way he doesn't play. I think, I think he, NCAA tournament. yeah, I think he does see the floor at some point. And that changes before things the for Florida yeah. significantly. Like even if Florida's the 10 seed, a 10 seed with Colin Castleton and a Florida team that, you know, it, it theoretically would be on a hot streak if they were to win six of their last nine yeah, to make the tournament. And if they played well in the SEC tournament, SEC tournament got like really hot. That would be scary. You know, I'm not exactly sure who their bracket matchup would be. I could look at the projections for. Cause like, I think Florida, I think Florida, if they get in and Castleton comes back, so many of these other guys are seeing. So just uptick in playing time and production that, guys that were kind of struggling at the beginning of the year, kind of like settling in. You look at Myron Jones, who was just lighting it up against Missouri the other day, a fantastic shooting performance. We were, um, we talked to him in media yesterday about how his confidence has kind of changed and how since he's getting more playing time over the last couple of weeks and getting just more shots up, coaches giving him the green light to shoot pretty much whatever, especially from three, that he's really kind of settling in and he was – kind of disappointed and frustrated that it took him as long as it did. So if guys like that continue to make strides over this, the tail end of the season here going into the tournament, and then you add Castleton back into the mix, Florida's always been one of those teams over the last couple of years to where they're going to ride Castleton if he's healthy. And then outside of that, they're going to shoot a lot of threes. And if the threes are falling, they can make noise against yeah. against a lot of teams. Well, I'm looking at I'm just so many threes. I'm just looking at Joe Lenardi. He has his brackets out, like his projected bracket seedings out already. Yeah. You're looking at like if like let's say like best case scenario, I think Florida ends up the 10th seed. You're looking at the teams they would have to play in theory, who are seven seeds right now. That's the USC, Iowa State, Indiana, and Iowa. Like those are teams that Florida can beat if they're on, especially with yeah. Colin Castleton. Uh, you know, and then at that point, like, obviously they have the two seed next and well, you know, it would take a little more magic there, but that's a, that's a, that's a favorable situation. If Florida can win six games and get Colin Castleton back healthy for the tournament, going up against the seven seed is not the worst situation to be in, especially with how this season has looked at times. Like there were times where the season looked like it was going to end in disaster. Florida was not even going to get close to the tournament. I mean, there were tough times this season. Florida's starting to bring it around. If they can keep up the much improved perimeter shooting as of late, um, uh, 
um, sans the uh, Missouri game where neither team shot very well. Yeah. Uh, and even Florida came out hot. They made their first couple shots, like most of the first couple shots. The second half just became a defensive scrap. Um, yeah, Florida can make noise in the tournament. They just have to make the tournament. That's the only thing. They just have to get in. Yeah, I think it really starts with today, just a couple hours from now, beat Ole Miss. Ole Miss, since the last time they've played them, Deshaun Ruffin is out for the season now with a knee injury. Yeah, so they, they were have... talking about they were talking about that in, in media. That kind of gives Ole Miss a little bit of challenge the same way that Florida's been dealing with injury. So it'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see just how much game plan changes because Florida's, again, without Jatobo, who they had in that Ole Miss game, Ole Miss now without Ruffin, both teams having to adjust going into a matchup that would have been separated by more time because Ole Miss was supposed to be Florida's conference opener. And then that game got postponed, moved to just a few days ago at this point. Yeah, just a month ago, like less than a month ago. Yeah, they played January January 24th. 24th. So not that long ago, but if you look from that loss and then the Tennessee loss that came right after it, if Florida beats Ole Miss again today, beats Georgia next Wednesday, you're riding a four-game win streak into into Rupp, and you see what happens from there. Yeah, although I think, yeah, Ole Miss, Georgia, and Vanderbilt are the teams that, like, if you lose two, that ends your season. Texas A&M, Arkansas, you've got to split that. You've got to go one and one, at least. If you're going to lose Texas A&M, you have to beat Arkansas or vice versa. And then I think at that point, if everything goes right there, Florida can make the tournament. And then and then an upset like, over either Kentucky, either time or Auburn, that's just a – That's bonus points. That's, that's, a bol- that's a bolster to your seeding. That's just – yeah, exactly. It's just boosting your seeding at that point, um, basically <laughs> guaranteeing that you'll get to see one of them again later on in the tournament than you would have to. Yeah. I think that does just about wrap up what we're going to talk about today. We've got, we've got some basketball to watch later. Got to enjoy our Saturday. We're going to get this out. Hopefully here, right after we record it, going to edit it real quick, you know, get it up. as kind of a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a preview for today's game, you know, right. I do want to give women's basketball credit before we go. I know we're going to have Brenda Bogle, our, uh, a women's basketball reporter on yes, we're, next we're week to talk that about episode. that mm-hmm. but because they definitely deserve just an episode to themselves but i do just want to give them some recognition real quick they played four ranked teams and they're three and one in that stretch they're going to be ranked this week um, yeah this season especially with everything else off the court that surrounded the team with the cameron newbauer situation and like kelly ray finley coming in as the interim and being linked to those previous situations um this team has overcome all that turmoil and is putting together like honestly an extremely impressive season. So shout out to them. Yeah. A team that was known for just being middle of the pack or underperforming for new pretty much entire tenure to where yeah. even regardless of, or despite all the off the court stuff, everybody was confused why new was getting extended anyway, just because of the team's on court performance. And then you remove that and, promote Finley and this team has just taken off in the best way possible. Um, Again, going back to media yesterday that I was sitting in on 
Mike White, he got asked about it. It was just like, what have you seen from the team across the hall? And he's like, we pass them in the building and we see Finley and the players and stuff like that. And their energy is just so high. They're just the optimism, the happiness that they have just being in the gym every day, being in practice every day, and just the interaction they have with the men's team. White was just like, it's cool to see. And he's like, he's like, I spend so much time watching other college basketball and watching film of my own team and everything that I haven't seen any of their games. He's like, but you can't, he's like, you can't miss social media and keeping up with their scores and the, and what they've done over the last month, especially he's like, you can't miss it. They're going to be hard to ignore, especially when it gets closer to postseason tournament time. So we'll get into that next week. Yeah, it'll be good. Look forward to that episode and we'll see y'all next time then. Thanks, guys.